0: Welcome to Heart to Heart with Michael, featuring your host, Michael Lieben. Our program is designed to empower the bereaved community with information and stories from those who have suffered the most terrible loss. Michael himself, a bereaved father, will be meeting with people from around the world to share and to draw hope from their experiences. And now, here is Michael Lieben.
1: Welcome to the ninth episode of the first season of Heart to Heart with Michael, a program for the bereaved community. Our purpose is to empower members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. Today's show is How Do You Move Forward?, Here with us today to discuss this topic is our guest, CJ McKay, mother of four, two in heaven, two here on earth. CJ has founded two nonprofits. The first, Grief Bridge, is a nonprofit organization with the mission to close the gap between the bereaved and the world by way of education and grief work centered around God's word. The second nonprofit is called JAWS, which stands for John Benjamin Action to Walk Safely. JAWS' mission is teaching children to walk safely and defensively. Welcome, CJ. It's very nice to have you on the program.
2: Thank you, Michael. Thank you for helping me today.
1: Welcome. I understand you've lost two adult sons within the last nine years. Can you tell us a little bit about them and what happened?
2: Ben was my middle son, and he is now forever 21. And He was my son that had the biggest heart, and he was a musician, and he played the piano, and he taught himself to play the guitar. and Just a fun kind of kid, and he could fix everything. He was my MacGyver, and just... Just fun to be around, and um, to show you how big his heart was, actually, um, my mom had come down with cancer, and um, she didn't want to leave her house in California, so he offered uh, to go take care of her house in California while my mom came here and did cancer treatment at MD Anderson Cancer Center. And um, anyway, while he was there taking care of the house, um, he had to stay through Christmas, and it was Christmas Eve, and he felt sorry for some friends down the road that didn't have any place to go for Christmas. So he walked down the street to invite them to Christmas Eve dinner. And while he was walking, he got hit from behind by a distracted driver and Mm. he was drug 176 feet to his passing. And, um, um, it was quite a shock. Um, I didn't think I was going to survive, uh, his death because, um, I had not known anything about grief, really, and uh, I didn't know a body could endure so much pain and still survive. And then three years later, my oldest son, um, Bridger, which he's almost my clone, he's so much like me, he'll be forever thirty two. He was just the greatest kid growing up, and he played every sport, and he was just, you know fun, got me out of the house to do everything. We were very, very close. He was a father of four. He has four children. Mm. And, um, but he kind of struggled his whole life. When he was 15, um, his best friend had called him uh, one night and asked him to go to a party. And he said, um, you know, man, I got to study for this math test. So he stayed home and studied for the math test. And that night, his best friend, his whole life was murdered. Mm-hmm. And he always felt, I guess it was his fault, that he should have been there to protect him. So, he went into a deep depression. And, and of course, I didn't understand grief back then because I hadn't really lost anybody. But, you know, Shakespeare says, give sorrow words. Um, the grief that does not speak is or fraught, which means it's a really heavy, um, mm-hmm. loaded heart. So... um you're not supposed to keep your grief hidden. You're supposed to put your sorrow into words because um, the grief inside you will whisper into your heart until it breaks. And I didn't understand that, so I didn't really get him the help he probably needed. And so he turned to drugs to um, drown his sorrows of his, you know, best friend passing. And so we struggled with that, and an addiction finally won um, when he was in his thirties.
1: I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about the organization's Grief Bridge and John Benjamin Action.
2: They kind of mm-hmm. just birthed out of pain, actually. Um, JAWS came about just four months after Ben's death. I had not left the house at all. Um, spent most of my time in a fetal position with the Bible pressed against my chest as a shock absorber. And... um Four months after his death was his 22nd birthday. And I woke up on that day, April 7th, in a panic. And I was gasping for air and I didn't know what to do. And and I was, you know, running around the house like a crazy lady. And I went to the phone and I picked up the phone mindlessly because I knew I had to do something for his birthday. I didn't know what because I didn't know anything about grief, but I had to do something. I just felt... And so I went to the phone, and I mindlessly dialed um, my youngest son, Patrick's elementary school, and I just blurted something out. I mean, I just blurted out, today, birthday, killed, distracted driver, can I come down, talk to kids, walk safely? You know, I just, I did made no sense at all. But the principal had was the one who had answered the phone, and he had known the, our story, mm-hmm. and he said, CJ, come on down. And so the first time I got in the car and I drove a couple miles to the school and they had put together a group of um, three second grade classes um, together for me to talk to. Patrick was in second grade then. And so I explained to him, this is my son, Patrick. And I had a picture of Ben on a t-shirt. This is my son, Ben, and he's no longer here. He lives in heaven because although he was walking down the street safely, he wasn't walking defensively. He wasn't looking out for the other person coming from behind. Mm. And so I talked to the kids about, you know, walking left, right, left, you know, and was only there about 10 minutes. And I passed out a bunch of CDs from walks America on how to walk safely for kids. And I just felt a sense of peace come over my body. Like I hadn't felt in four months and I just felt like, you know, I'm, you know, that was the right thing to do. Thank you, God, for, you know, opening that door, for letting me come down there and talk to those kids. And I didn't really understand the impact of that little 10-minute time frame that I was there until a few months later when um, Patrick had a um, a track meet. And so, again, I ventured out of the house for, like, the second time, and I was at the track meet looking for my son And across the field, there was this big kid coming, waving his arms, saying, hey, lady, hey, lady. And he came up to me and he said, lady, my mama told me if I ever see you again, I need to thank you, lady, for telling me how to walk home safely. And he wrapped his arms around me and gave me a big Ben hug. Ben was known for his hugs. It was just an incredible moment, a tear went down my face and I looked up and said, thank you, Ben. If we just save one life, you know, then your purpose has been here on earth. It was like not even 60 seconds later, I I, said these arms went around my waist from the back. Well, that's something Patrick would do. So I reached around the back to toggle, you know, his black hair, but it was blonde hair again. And um, this kid came around to the front and said, Thank you, lady. Thank you. My sister and I made it all the way to the soccer practice safely. And my mom said that we need to thank you. And then I just, the tears just, you know, gushed out of me. I said, okay, God, I, okay. I know my purpose now. I, you know, and that's how um, Jaws was, um, was birthed, was through that one event who God had orchestrated, you know, for me to, to follow through.
1: I was going to ask you if you thought that maybe John Benjamin was there, and I guess he was. I guess he, he really was. was.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I know he was there. Absolutely.
1: That was your essentially your first touch with dealing publicly with grief, but after that, you began studying for your master's in Christian counseling at Dallas Baptist University. Was this a result of your loss, and what role do you envision this playing in helping you with your own grief?
2: Well, Yes. And, um, it was again, birthed out of desperation because, um, I knew I needed some more help. And so I reached out to some counselors and I, what I did is I interviewed 12 counselors before I decided to go to one because everybody had told me counselors didn't help. So all 12 had told me that they were experts in grief And so after interviewing all 12 of them, I had found out that only one had lost a grandparent, and that was when they were nine, and one had lost a pet. Well, they couldn't help me. They had no idea what I was going through because I know I've lost four grandparents. I've lost my father. I've lost my mother. And the grief I experienced in each of those instances was nothing compared to the ongoing grief that I experienced with losing my two sons. And so in desperation, I cried out to God and I said, you know, God, there are millions of bereaved parents in the world, but who is helping them? These counselors don't understand us. Nobody understands our pain, you know, and I just kind of screamed out to him and then I just prayed quietly and then I heard plain as day but you know cj but you know and you can help them and then he just put it in my heart to go back to school and i was writing a book at the time and so i decided that you know what i'm going to wait and finish my book after i finish my masters because then i'm going to have credibility of knowing all sides of grief the actual reality of it uh, what gr- what god says about it in the bible and the clinical side you know what is taught to these counselors who are supposedly, um, should be able to help us.
1: Okay. We're going to have to take a break, but when we get back, we'll be talking with CJ about her vision for those who grieve and how to best help them move forward in their own lives. Heart to heart with Michael is a presentation of hearts. Unite the globe and is part of the hug podcast network. Hearts unite the globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift empower and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more.
0: You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our program, please send an email to Michael Lieben at michael at heart to heart with michael.com Now, back to Heart to Heart with Michael.
1: Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Michael. Today we're talking with CJ McKay about how to move forward with life after losing someone you love. Before the break, we were discussing your pursuit of a master's degree in Christian counseling at Dallas Baptist University and how you saw that helping you to endure your own grief. But going forward, how do we see this as helping others who are faced with similar circumstances?
2: Well, one of the things um, going back to school is I had to study a little bit about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And um, although she did a great job of teaching the world about the five stages of grief in her book on death and dying in 1969, unfortunately, um, those five stages were written for the dying, not the living, And so us bereaved parents have to, um, live with the stigma of those five stages. I've even had people come up to me and say, well, what stage of grief are you in? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's, you know, no stage that you stay in long and you come back and forth to stages all over the place again, Mm -hmm. and everybody grieves differently because everybody's unique and their relationship is, is unique. So, you know, I think that's to, to, um, try to get that clarified in my book, you know, coming out that, you know, how grief and emotions are not stops in some linear time, you know, frame along the line. So I hope to clear up that myth as I learn more about it and just to get the people in general to understand the process of g- of grief. Um, it's not just a stage, it's an ongoing process and there are triggers. You could go for years And then all of a sudden, bam, a song, a smell of food, you know, something can just knock you off your feet and take your breath away. But my ultimate goal, Michael,
1: Mm.
2: is um, to change the way the world does grief.
1: You have a big job ahead of you if you want to change that.
2: You know, I think the thing starts with changing the language, like from moving on to moving forward. And I think that's a I it was a huge thing in me when people would say, move on, move on. We moving on is leaving something behind, but moving forward is taking something with you through a process. And when I, f- that finally clicks so in my grieving process, it became easier for me to, you know, move forward and basically, you know, heal and get it better, you know, along the way. And it, it shapes you and it sculpts you. And, um, it teaches you the priorities in life, you know, what's really, really important out there. And it's amazing how your children can still teach you things, you know, after they're gone. Compassion and and empathy um, is more um, heightened. you know, in me. And, you know, you just learn that although you thought you were going to be, your children were going to be your, you know, your legacy, that you actually become your children's legacy. So you mm-hmm. pursue um, your children's purpose on earth through what they've taught you in moving forward. That's what I try to do is to, to teach bereaved parents to do the same, to find something that their child loved and to go out and, and, and honor their child by doing that. Their child loved an animal, then to go volunteer at a at a, a, you know, an animal shelter, if you're, you know, if your child loves art, then, you know, I mean, take an art class, but to honor your child by something that, you know, that they loved, you know, doing.
1: What is it that you do to help keep your children with you? And do you, uh, have you established any rituals?
2: I take my kids with me everywhere I go because they influence, you know, my, my decisions as I go. And I'm more grateful in life, you know, for each and every day. I try to focus on, You know, the memories and on the good things, I go out of my way to make opportunities. If you walk into my home, my whole house is decorated in things that my children, you know, had throughout life. And so, or even candy, their favorite candy. Anything that I can talk when they say, oh, would you like a piece of candy? And they'll say, oh, this is my favorite. I'll say, yeah, that was Ben's favorite candy too. Anything that I can say my child's name and tell their story through, is throughout my house, you know, so I teach, try to teach them that as far as rituals, of course I have, you know, lots of them. We bereaved parents, we live for rituals and traditions now. And of course we honor them, of course, with the lighting a candle, um, or writing a love letter to them. But, you know, on Ben's birthday or, um, we go to a concert and we celebrate it cause he would like mm. to be at a concert on Rick love baseball. We'll, go to the Rangers game, you know, on Rick's, you know, birthday. And um, we still celebrate birthdays. We still make birthday cakes. And we have dinner at their favorite restaurants. And since they were both born on the 7th of the month, the the restaurant, we always meet at 7 p.m., you know. (laughs) And Patrick plays baseball, and he wears a number seven jersey to honor his brothers, you know. So uh, that's how we take them with us, you know, as we go forward, you know, and also at Christmas, we always go to the grave site. We always clean it up and we always pick out a blanket every year, a new blanket Mm. that we lay down um, on their grave and just as a symbol of uh, warmth and love, you know, Mm. for them. And we do that December 1st and we leave it on the whole month. And that's a kind of a healing ritual that that we look forward to doing for them still, something we're still doing for them.
1: Well, that's beautiful. I was concerned uh, when Leel died. She was 15. She was autistic, so she didn't have a lot left physically behind for us. But she had done some paintings, one painting and some artwork where she had been living in a house with autistic kids. And so we have that in a prominent place, and we have her... Her uh, ceramics were, you know, decorating the house. But I was concerned that I didn't want the house to become a Liel museum. And I hope I've been walking that line well. I have other children, and I want my family to still believe it's their house, not just hers. Mm -hmm. But I certainly understand the need to express yourself, and I really respect that. I think you've probably found some really interesting things that people can do without turning their houses into museums and I, And I appreciate that. And I hope a lot of people who are listening who get that, too
2: well, I also um when when I do this, I mean, Rick had four children. So, and then, of course, my daughter Brooke and patrick, they're they're involved in this process. So they, you know, they'll help in the artwork or the setting up of whatever we're we're doing. So it's a family event. You know, it's a family moving together forward. And I think that's really important because together people divide the pain when grief tries to isolate us that's where we get stuck but with them being involved in this process the whole family is still here we're still together
1: well i think you're very lucky in that sense because um not everybody is ready to talk about things at the same time and
2: yeah and everybody has to find their you know find their way
1: Okay, CJ, we appreciate your coming on our show. And we thank you so much for opening up and sharing your personal journey through grief and how you're channeling your pain into helping others move forward in their lives. So stay tuned. And in our next segment, we're going to talk with CJ about how she busts myths and rules on grief and teaches bereaved parents that they are not alone.
0: Home Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on Michael's program, please email him at Michael at heart dot heart com. Now back to our program.
1: Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Michael, a program for the bereaved. We are here with CJ McKay, who is sharing her thoughts on grief and how to move forward after enduring a loss. In this segment, CJ will help us to dispel some misconceptions about grief and offer up methods to help the bereaved not feel so isolated and alone.
2: Well, I think the most important one is that uh, there is no time limit and no time frame, and society tries to push us through there. And another is there's no right or wrong way to grieve. And one of the things that you know, the people can do out there is to give themselves permission to grieve. I actually made little permission slips that said, I have permission to cry in public. I have permission to, you know, not answer the phone today. So, you know, whatever is comfortable with them, you know, that they should do. And then expressing themselves. I feel that, You know, they need to express themselves a thousand plus times before they can tell their story without crying. And Mm -hmm. actually, you know, I have lived that through because I was reading in Proverbs 31 and I came to the part where she, the um, Proverbs 31 woman had wrapped herself in purple. And I was so basically upset because there was no compassion, I thought, in the world right after my son had passed away. And so I looked up the word purple, and it said compassion. And then I thought, royalty, my son is in heaven with royalty. And so I went right down to uh, the salon and dyed my hair purple. And I went <laughs> to the grocery store. And I call this story that, you know, grief in the grocery store, because when I stood in line at the grocery store, people would make start making comments about my hair. And although my sisters and my brothers and my neighbors had kind of like pretended nothing had ever happened because they didn't want to hurt my feelings by bringing up, you know, my son's name. People in the grocery store were attentive and wanted to hear about my story. And so as I, t- as they said something about my hair being purple, I would say, thank you very much. Do you know what purple stands for? It stands for compassion and it stands for royalty and my sons now live with royalty, so of course they would ask me questions and it would give me an opportunity to share my child and express myself right there in the grocery store. And I always wanted to make it a teaching opportunity also, so I would always hug them and say, thank you for being a part of my healing, you know, just listen. If, you, if anybody ever loses, a, loses somebody, all you have to do is just listen and be there. So I think that's you know a very very important thing, especially because people are so uncomfortable about talking about grief, um, you know, in society. So um, I just think it's important that you know that we can share our story. What people can do for us, um, they can remember our our children and say their names, um, share stories that they remember about them. But I think the most important thing that ever happened to me that really got me was when somebody sent me aI'm thinking about you card on my son's birthday and I think that's a wonderful you know validation and you know a show of compassion and love when you can go to the mailbox on their birthday and see that somebody's still thinking about your child and and you,
1: is that a lot to expect from, from your friends? I mean, for so long while Liel was alive, everyone knew me as Liel's dad. I was the guy who walked into the room and started talking about Liel. And I, I think at some point my friends were feeling encroached upon. So to ask them to remember her now, to send letters, is that is that a lot to ask of friends or is that more of a family thing?
2: No, I don't I don't think so. I think it, in my case, I feel like God has put me in a position of a teaching position. And in order for me to change the world, um, like Mother Teresa, you know, you can't feed the whole world, but you can feed one child. So if I can teach one person how to have more compassion to help somebody else down the road, that, you know, hopefully it, it'll be a ripple effect and it will help somebody else down the road. So no, I don't think so. I think it's my responsibility now that I have a new awareness of what grief is. I mean, who, but we, the grieving people, can teach what we need through grief, if we don't tell them, how are they ever going to know? Because there there was a point when we didn't know, Michael, when we weren't a person and we did not know these things. But now that we have this new knowledge, it's kind of like Paul on the road to Damascus and the mm. scales that fell off his eyes, the new eyes. We have new eyes, you know. And so, we we are the ones that have been chosen, I feel now to go out and reach out and teach.
1: One of the things that we do in our family, in our tradition is we get together once a year on the anniversary of her death mm. and we get together and we invite friends and we have lunch together. Um, and then we, like you said, it's a teaching experience. So we find someone to teach either about a subject or of um, relevant to her life or, we might get a professional who will speak about some of the issues that she had medically, but we turn it into a teaching experience and a, a gathering of close friends to talk about and think about Liel, And then we go up to the gravesite and those who want to come, come, and those who don't, don't, but it's a, it, it's a rounded, perfect day for us. Maybe through that, we can teach those people on their own in future to come to us. And I know that that it has worked because some of my friends come up to me in advance and say, are we getting together this year? So it's something mm-hmm. that, that that they look forward to. And I, I think it helps because the feeling that <clears throat> your grief now is public, that your Absolutely. grief is somehow shared by others, not that they have to grieve for your children, of course not, but, but they're there to support you and carry that load with you. I think that's a good thing.
2: I do too. I do too. I mean, we still share their... Their milestones with them. I mean, we still attend their their children's graduation or their children's weddings. You know, Mm -hmm. so um, they get to we get to continue to share their children. So why shouldn't we be able to continue to share? You know, our children. And I love that you that you do that. That you have that ritual, and um, that's. We need more of that. We need more of that teaching out there that it's okay to talk about grief. It's okay to honor them. And that's how we do honor them, Michael, is by, by living. We honor them by living. And um, I just don't know a better way to honor my child than, than to teach somebody some compassion or, you know, about how important uh, it is to spend time with people. And we do that when we get together, like you said.
1: As you know, we like to conclude the program with a dollop of good hope, and I believe you've done that. I think you've given us something to look forward to in some way to move ahead with a smile and to, as we said earlier, to move ahead without moving away and Mm -hmm. to bring our loved ones with us as a part of who we are. They have certainly contributed to our makeup. Um, And I... And I, I thank you for that because I think a lot of people need to break out of the solitude and realize that you can share this in a way that they can help you carry your load. And that's what friends do. And that's what Absolutely. people are good at.
2: And the last thing I just want to say is that, you know, in Matthew, you know, it tells us that, you know, that love is the greatest commandment and that we are to love our neighbor. And grief is just another form of love. And so, we're just following what it says in the Bible, you know, to love our neighbor, you know, when we express our grieving.
1: That concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Michael. Again, I want to thank CJ McKay for sharing with us and hope her story has brought some hope to those of you who are listening. Please join me or the Heart to Heart with Michael team in Pal Talk every week following our program. I'll talk to you soon. And until then, remember, it's okay to breathe.
0: Thank you again for joining us. We hope you have gained strength from listening to our program. Heart to Heart with Michael can be heard every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next time when we'll share more stories. If you would like to continue today's discussion, please join us right after the program in the HUG podcast chat room on Pal Talk.